Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit PresenceOC.org. two of our leaders from from Awakening that are planted here. Amazing people. Yeah. Yeah, you can clap for them. I by the time by the time we launched everybody, they had been a part of our church the longest out of everybody. Uh, I think twelve years? Twelve years. So amazing people, if you don't know them, get to know them. But um, I wanna I actually wanna share from a, a story that most of you have probably heard some of you might not with within scripture because it's not a popular one that we get with the flannel graphs growing up when i was little we'd get the flannel graphs um, and so it, it wasn't one of those um, but it's it's actually found out of judges chapter 11 judges chapter 11 i'm going to read bits and pieces in the story of a man named jephthah everybody say jephthah jephthah so we're going to read the story in a second, and then we're just going to talk about it. But I wanted to open up with, with one thing that I felt um, that's a little bit separate from what I'm teaching on. And, and it's, it's been in my, in my heart for a while, and even as I was praying for you guys this morning, I felt like the Lord wanted to let you know, pay attention to what has been mocked in your life in the last season. Because the enemy will mock the place that God considers a treasure. So wherever your mind is dealing with mockery, where you're thinking, oh, that was stupid, I shouldn't have taken that risk, or I look dumb when I do that, or I'm never trying that again because it didn't work out well, go after those places. Because the places that were mocked in the last season will bring a solution to to the world in this season. So God puts treasure in your heart in the places that the enemy is mocking. The enemy will mock your strength to get you to disconnect from it and never attach to it again, and now you're running in everyone else's strength but yours, and not bringing the solutions God's called you to bring in this season. None of us are called to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. That's only Jesus. That's it, just Jesus. And in a season and in a time where we have so much information available to us, My concern is we're taking the weight of the world on our shoulders and not the weight that God has intended for us to carry, which is our only sphere of influence he's designed us to influence. We become impotent to the sphere of influence we're called to, and we pretend to carry what's happening around the world. What I'm saying is this. God has put solutions in your heart, not for the world, but for your world. For the people God has connected you to. And people all the time say, do you have hope for America? And I say, well, do you have hope for your neighbor? They say, yeah, of course. Well, then I have hope for America because America is a bunch of neighbors. (laughs) That's what we are. That's what we are. And if the church would be willing to go small again to the people right in front of us and not get caught up in the chaos of what's happening around the world, and I know some of you intercessors are like, but what about me? If God gives you a burden to pray for Africa in the middle of the night, please do it. I'm not saying that, but you know for a fact, even you intercessors can gain too much information and, and actually lose your hope and stop interceding from heaven to earth. 
and start interceding from earth to heaven and wear yourself out. So make sure that you take what God has given you in the last season. What I'm saying is look in the last season. He's hidden it in you. Your answers for this season. He's not about to give them to you. He already gave them to you. You are the answer to someone else's problem. You. You're the gift. Not just what you bring, but you. You're the gift. Amen? I had this concept that has been rattling my head the last couple of months. And it's just thinking of Noah. He builds an ark. It makes absolutely no sense. They did not have a point of reference for rain. It had never rained before. It had never rained before, guys. Wasn't that just, it never, it never rained. It was the dew. Yes? And he's ridiculed for what he's building Can you imagine if he would have distanced himself from his calling because it was being mocked? What I'm saying is now we're in a season because of the rainbow covenant. Whereas instead of shutting up the door, you've built an ark in the last season that's needed for this season. It's time to open the door and say, come one, come all. We have a solution. God's placed faith in your heart in the last season. If you dig for it, you'll find it. Don't think that you're not prepared for this. You're more than prepared for this. Anyways, that's, a, that's just a prophetic word to get this thing going. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. Okay. Can I turn this? Can I take this one off yet? Or? Shaba. You guys okay? Yeah. All right. I'm going to take... Uh, the first time I wore one of these kind of microphones, my friends, it was like 20, 25 years ago. My friends started saying, welcome to, McDon- Wel- to-, welcome to McDonald's. They started messing with me. <laughs> Can I give that to you? Is that all right? It does, it does keep my hands free, but we're good to go. All right. Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. Everybody say Jephthah. That's a fun name. Yeah, exactly. Say that ten times. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. Everybody say mighty warrior. warrior. We got any mighty warriors in this place? Come on now. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Everybody say his mother mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. We're going to start right there. I actually very seldom do three-point sermons, but this morning happens to be three points, so you guys are good to go. Jephthah was a mighty warrior. That's who he was. His gift was warring. He was designed for warfare. I know a lot of people that are very, very nervous in peaceful times. Because they look around fidgety like, I just need, I need something to fight. I was born to fight something. And when they can't find something to fight, they actually create their own mess to give themselves something to do. Now, this is a reality of many leaders today. 
When, remember when it talked about David, it says in the time where kings went to fight, David stayed back, and that's when he got in tr- trouble with Bathsheba. When you're designed to fight and you get bored, sometimes it opens you up for some pr- trouble, right? But he's a warrior. He's designed for a battle. That means that God has designed him to overcome, and he's a gift to his community because he's a warrior. But it says that his mother was a prostitute, And so his brothers, when he got older, because his brothers were from their father's wife, he was the only one that was from a prostitute. His brothers then pushed him away and said, you will have no inheritance with us because your mom is a prostitute. Even though we share a father, your mom is a prostitute. You won't have any inheritance with us. And they push him out of community. Now he's a warrior, but because of something their father did, not something Jephthah did, something their father did, they pushed the son out of community. Here's the first point. When we are infected or influenced by shame, we will distance ourselves from people that God has brought into our life to bring a solution. Shame will cause us to push people out of our life that remind us of our father's failures. I mean, your mom, your dad, I don't know about you, but I have the best parents in the world and they're still not perfect. We have spiritual fathers and mothers who have made mistakes. I know that I've made many mistakes as a leader. Just ask Andrew and Johanna. They got a list. Just kidding. They don't keep the list. They burned it up. But something happens when we are ashamed of our father's mistakes and that shame gets passed down to the next generation. We're embarrassed by how it makes us look. Shame is contagious. When I'm ashamed of my father, I'm ashamed of myself. When I'm ashamed of myself, I will push everyone around me that reminds me of that shame. I will push them away even if God brought them into my life. And I will say something's wrong with them. Something's wrong with you because you make me feel shame. Isn't that an interesting thought process? Something's wrong with you because you make me feel shame. And the problem is, everywhere I go, there I am. The common denominator, I go from one community to the next to the next, and I get just close enough until somebody reminds me of my shame, and then it's my excuse to say something's wrong with them, and I'm going to push them out of my community. This is where the rubber meets the road when you've got to go deep into community is you've got to let go of the shame of your fathers because it's actually infected you. I know so many people are thinking, I'll never be like my dad. I'll never be like my mom. I'll never be like the spiritual fathers and mothers that have treated me ill. But remember, you become like that which you worship. And whatever is taking up all of your attention is what you're worshiping. And when you're enamored by the shame of your fathers, you're actually worshiping their shame and their mistake, and you start to actually repeat it in the midst of trying to run away from it. You do to everyone around you what's been done to you. 
Now that works good and bad. John, first John says that he loved us first and then we love him. So when we're, when we're receiving perfect love from the Father, the natural expression is to love people well. Yes? But when we're caught in the shame of our Father's mistakes, and then it now starts to be a, like a self-prophecy. I'm going to become like that because now you're just in. It's like, uh, it's like Ham completely being enamored by his Father's nakedness, Noah, after he got drunk. It's what he saw. And what he talked about, it was like the, the record player that went in his head over and over again. But my dad did this. But my mom did this. But you don't know what I've been through. But so-and-so did this. And you have no idea what my story is. Well, I might not know your story, but I can guarantee you, you don't even have an accurate picture of your story if the only thing you see is everything wrong that's happened to you. See, we don't get to decide what happens to us, but we do get to decide how we're going to respond to it. The authority rests in us. And shame wants to keep you stuck in the frailty and the failures of your fathers. The place that we've been battling over is what will define who we are. Our emotions... Our past, what we've been through. But you guys know this. In Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. Not outside of Christ. Like we don't, you know, this is who I am in Christ. And then I'm going to kind of build a little bit of who I am outside of him when I want to take a break. I need to take a break from this Jesus thing for a little bit. Which one are you? Who you are in him or who you are outside of him? This is you eternal. This is you, half of you temporal, and it's not even you anymore. Remember, the old man wasn't even worthy of being fixed. Had to be killed. Had to be killed. You're not the old man and the new man simultaneously. You're the new man with old man habits. But it's not who you are. Shame doesn't want to just say that your, your parent, father and mother did something wrong. Shame wants to tell you that they are something wrong. And now without realizing it in your subconscious, you start to think that's infected you. Because if you think something's in, inherently wrong with your spiritual fathers and mothers and you're full of being, if you're ashamed of them, you'll be ashamed of yourself. It's just a matter of time. The power of forgiveness breaks this, guys. I did, I did a whole series on the power of inheritance and breaking a cycle once and did research on what it looks like to break cycles of shame in our lives. What I'm saying is this. If you simply recognize in your heart right now any place that you're ashamed of fathers and mothers and ashamed of yourself... And invite Jesus to come in and give you a different perspective on who you are outside of your emotions. It'll start to cleanse you. You should be able to look your father and mother in their face or your spiritual father and mother face to face and say, I'm proud to be your son. I'm proud to be your daughter because of how God designed you, not necessarily what they did with it. 
but how God designed them. Every person should be able to do that. That's the power of redemption. After all, Jesus was proud to be the son of David, an adulterer and murderer. There you go. Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commanders so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? Everybody say, will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead. Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. The second point, I want you to take a look how Jephthah responds. So it says that a group of adventurers, one of the translations says troublemakers, gathered around Jephthah. Because now he's outside of his community, but he's not outside of community altogether. He's been booted from his family, and now a bunch of other troublemakers and adventurers gather around him because adventurers tend to gather around other adventurers. Come on. Who likes to go off the beach? Okay, who's one of those people? If you go camping and there's the trail and you're like, stupid trail. Like, there's got to be a better way to do this. Come on. (laughs) Raise your hand. I saw like a couple of you. Can I know there's some more? My wife's sitting there saying, why don't you just take the trail? Like, who wants to take the trail? We're we're out in nature. Who needs a trail? You make your own trail. You make your own trail. You know, you go to the beach in San Diego, the cliffs and the beach, they don't really want you walking on them because of erosion. But there's some places that they don't have that sign up. And I'm thinking, okay, it's going to take me like 15 minutes to walk all the way down the ramp and come all the way back up. Or we could just do a little detour. My wife and I are on our anniversary, like a couple of weeks ago, we were in San Diego. And, uh, and I'm carrying, you know, all the beach stuff. And uh, I said, babes, look, here's a trail. She's like, that's not much of a trail. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a trail. Look, that's a trail. It's easy stuff. Needless to say, we saved about 10 minutes, but my wife was not as happy as she would have been if we would have gone the long route. Adventurers get attracted to adventurers. And here Jephthah, even in him being pushed out of community, has gathered adventurers. But now his brothers, when it's time for war, because they're coming under attack, who do they go looking for? Everyone? The Jephthah, the warrior. The entire, the, all of his family that had no use for them, when it's time for war, they now come find him. And when they say, please lead us, this is how he responds. 
He says, I will lead you, but how do I know that when I'm done winning the battle, that I'll still be in charge? And they said, no, we give you our word. You will still be in charge, even after the battle's done. Now, I want you to take a look at the difference here. You notice he didn't say, how do I know after the battle that I can still be in community with you? How do I know after the battle that we're still going to be brothers? How do I know after the battle that that you're not going to push me back out of community? No, he reverts back to this. He says, how do I know after the battle that I'm still going to have my position over you? Why would Jephthah settle for a position instead of being family? Because of rejection. Jephthah's now fighting an orphan mindset that says, I am not worthy myself and I've been pushed out of community. I'm only as good as I am as a fighter. If I wasn't a warrior, I have no value. I'm only as good as my gift. I'm only as good as I can look good. Have you noticed in your life, if you look back at what you've been doing since the time you were small, most of the time what we follow the most is what's ever praised the most in our life. Most of the time what gets praised the most in our life is what we're gifted in. Oh, I see. Oh, you're good at that. Yeah, I'm good at that. And we get attracted to whatever's being celebrated. But how many of you know there's many things in this season that God wants to uncover in our life that we've never been celebrated in our history, but we're about to be celebrated in our future, and God wants to unlock new strengths that the world has not seen within us. Hidden secrets, hidden dreams. One of my favorite quotes of all times by Dr. Miles Monroe is this, the greatest failure in life is being successful in the wrong assignment. The greatest failure in life is being successful in the wrong assignment. See, our gift makes room for us. And our gift, oftentimes, is what makes other people go, wow, they're awesome. But in this place, Jephthah's so wounded in a place of relationship that all he wants to preserve is his gift. All he wants to preserve is his position. Because if I'm in authority over you, I don't have to be vulnerable to you. If I'm in charge, I'm secure. You have to be in community with me if I'm in charge. An orphan mindset will cause us to settle for position when God is wanting to give us authentic relationships. Jesus never lorded over his authority to his disciples. Matter of fact, he called them servants, then he called them friends, and then he called them brothers. If anybody had the right to rule over, it would be Jesus. But God has not given us authority and power to rule over people. God has given us authority and power to rule over the demonic in order to serve people well. The warring spirit that God is raising up in the church is not to have dominion over people, it's to have dominion over demonic forces so that we can actually serve people. 
Increase your authority, but don't use it to control people. Use it to boot the devil. And serve people well. And Jephthah has been booted out of his family. And so when he gets called back in, the only thing he asks for is certainty of position. My question to you today is, where have you settled for position when God is wanting to give you relationship? Position's not wrong. Authority's not wrong. But where have you settled in your life for position where God is wanting to give you family. We've made this thing, even the, even the five-fold ministry, we've made the five-fold ministry a caste system sometimes. The five-fold ministry is not a caste system. We all meet as sons and daughters around the throne. The value system is destroyed. The caste system of who's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and let's try to get as many people to go that route. Are you kidding? What a boring life. Like, there's got to be like 90, 95% of the body of Christ are not called to the fivefold. They're called to go do the stuff. And if the value system is back to family, back to fathers in the home, when the apostle replaces the father in the home, we create dysfunction in the very place that God wants to manifest his presence. The greatest authority in the home is from mom and dad. That's you. What I'm saying is, where have you settled for a position where God wants to give you a greater gift? He wants to give you a real relationship. He wants to give you family. And that's a really quick turn to say, God, I want everything you have for me in this season when it comes to family and relationship. I don't want just a position that makes me feel powerful. I want a family where there's covenant relationships, real, authentic love, and I'm being fed. Jephthah says yes. He tells tells him, you know, I'm going to take over. And he sends word to the Ammonite king and says, listen, why are you messing with us? And the Ammonite king gives false accusations. He said, because you did this to us and this to us and that to us. You can read through it if you'd like. And Jephthah says, nope, you're accusing, of, you're accusing us of all kinds of things that we never did. False accusation. And this is what he says. He says, listen. Verse 25. Actually, verse, I'm going to start with verse 26. For 300 years, Israel occupied Hessian, IR surrounding the settlements and all the towns. Why didn't you retake it during that time? This is this. I have not wronged you, but you're doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. Let the Lord, say it. The The judge judge decide. decide. Let the Lord, the the judge decide. Decide. Right after that, the king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message of Jephthah. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed over Gilead. Manasseh passed through Mizpah. And from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hand, whatever comes out of the door of my house when it meet, will meet me. And when I return for triumph of the Ammonites, 
will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns. So here's what happens. Directly following that, it says that when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his own daughter, dancing to the sounds of tambourines. She was only a child, as, as an only child, except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. And wretch because, he said, I am wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of the enemies of the Anamites, grant me this one request. And then she goes on to ask him something. So in short, what happens is he is told now by the king, says, listen, we're not going to make a treaty with you. He says, okay, may the Lord be the judge. So he says, God will judge who's right. Right after he says God will judge, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and he starts to run into battle. As he's running in battle, he makes a vow to God. And he says, God, if you give me this this victory, I will sacrifice whatever I see first when I get back home. He gets the victory. When he gets home, the first thing he sees is his own daughter. And he has to tell his daughter, I made a vow to God to kill whatever I see first coming out of my home. And his daughter says, hey, you need to, you need to fulfill your vow to God. And the rest is history. He fulfills his vow to God. Let me ask you something. I was reading this story years ago. He says, God will be the judge. God will be the judge who's right and wrong. The Spirit of the Lord comes on him to take him into battle. At what point did God say, make a vow to me to sacrifice something? Where? You can't find it. You know what happens? Jephthah is nervous. Because he first says, may the Lord decide. But after he says the Lord decide, and even with the Spirit on him, He thinks he has to make a sacrifice to persuade God to judge in his favor. And because of it, he sacrifices his daughter for a victory that God wanted to give him anyway. And this is what orphans do. We make sacrifices to try to get God to do something he already wanted to do for us. And we do it in the name of God. And because we got the victory, we tell everyone in the world, God required me to sacrifice to get that victory. As if our sacrifice could ever be enough. Like the prophets of Baal with Elijah cutting themselves. They understood that, that, that victory required blood. That to get God's attention, it required the shedding of blood. What they failed to realize is their blood would never be good enough. It does require the shedding of blood. It does require sacrifice. It's just not yours. It's his. And I fear we sacrificed family to try to get God to birth a revival when God has been wanting to do a revival the whole time in our homes, in small groups, in an intentional discipleship movement gone wild. 
God has wanted to infect the people that, we, that matter to us the most. And we think we've had to sacrifice them to do his work. And he never required that sacrifice in our own minds. We thought, well, if I'm not sacrificing, I'm not earning it. Exactly. You can't. You cannot earn this thing. God wants to do something and he wants to answer our prayers, not because of our sacrifice, but because of Jesus' sacrifice. And I want to tell you something this morning. What he's birthing inside of you, what he's birthing inside of this church will not be owned by your sacrifice. It'll be owned by worshiping him and being completely surrendered to the sacrifice he's already done on the cross. Too many times we think, well, the ends justifies the means. If I saw 10 people get saved, God must have wanted me to alienate my wife and kids. If I saw healing, that must be God confirming that I'm living a holy lifestyle. No, that's just confirming that Jesus died on the cross and he loves to heal people. It's not confirming your lifestyle at all. You just might be a warrior who hasn't learned how to be in community yet. We're not meant to walk alone. I don't care how strong and wild and crazy you are. You're meant to be in a family. You're not meant to sacrifice your family in the name of God. Is it possible that God wants to answer the deeper questions of your heart in this season, the ones that you're scared to have, the the needs that you're scared to even whisper because you've hoped for them so long, you're scared to hope any longer? Can I find a place where I belong because of who I am, not because of the gift I bring? I, I rehearsed this story in my head. I think, man, what, what if? I, I think of Jephthah's daughter. What an incredible, awful mindset that she had of who God was. She's like, no, 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 no. Fulfill your vow to God, Dad. She's been raised by an orphan. And now she, even though she has a dad, feels like God is an abusive father. Oh, no, 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 Dad, please kill me because that's what's going to be required of you. Otherwise, this angry God's going to get you. I rehearse it in my head back to that point when, he get, when, when his brothers come back to him and think, man, we need you now, Jephthah. You're a warrior. If he wouldn't have been so wounded by rejection If in that moment he would have said, listen, I'll bring you my strength and I'll lead you in war. But I want most right now, what I want most right now is reconciliation into the family. What would have happened? I'm not saying what would have happened would they have had victory of the Ammonites. Of course, that's a given because God was doing that. What would have happened in the family of Jephthah? What would have happened with his daughter? What would have happened with the future of Israel? What would they have understood about the heart of God that was different than just a momentary breakthrough? I fear we settle for momentary miracles when God wants to give us a house that we belong in. Yeah. 
God is birthing a relationship revival that includes signs and wonders. A worship revival that's gathered around the throne, not the gifts of men. Where we all take our gifts and we lay them at the feet of Jesus and we say, Jesus, we will not pick them up unless you ask us to. We will not be known by our gifts, but we will be known by our worship. I believe a generation like this one sitting here right here today, multiple generations at the same time, that are called to greatness and obscurity at the same moment. We don't know how to be great without spending time at the throne. And we don't know how to be obscure without being in the shadow of God. If I could do anything this morning, it would be wake you up to who you are. To wake you up to the fullness of the promises that God has for you. Wake you up to the fullness of your inheritance in Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. You have nothing to fear, nothing to lose, nothing to earn, nothing to prove. You're free to fully show up and have real relationships with people and watch revival infect your entire life and the families of everyone around you and watch this thing amp up from generation to generation. My prayer for you this morning is that you would dust off the prophecies that hurts because they haven't happened yet. That you would dust off the promises that God put in your heart that offend you now because you've let go of hope. And that you would say, God, I don't even know what to do with them anymore, but I'm giving you permission to resurrect them. And I choose family over my gift. I choose vulnerability over power over people. I choose to serve people. And I choose real authority over the demonic to bring peace and resolution to shift an atmosphere over a region. But I'm telling you, the atmosphere won't just happen through open air events. The atmosphere will happen as real families begin to establish the presence of God in their own homes. And then it starts to break out from there. Can you stand with me just for a moment? I'm going to hand this over to Jesse. <clears throat> Does somebody have a problem with their right wrist? Anybody? Right wrist? Right here? Your roommate? Anybody else? Yeah? Do you guys, either of you play the piano? Is your roommate play the piano? Her husband? Yeah, I saw something. Just give me a second. I just keep seeing a right hand and a right wrist. You know what, Jesse, can you come here just for a second? I just saw something. And in the scripture, the right hand is the one that fathers would bless sons with. And if you know the story, when a man comes, uh, has a shriveled right hand, and Jesus has him stand up in front of everybody and restores the right hand, it was restoring not just his hand, but restoring it was it was his his strength, and it, and and his, he was it, it symbolized you know Jesus is at the right hand of who the Father, 
because he carries the authority. And I just see you're in a season, a radical season, where your right hand is going to be used like never before to release people. Your right hand is going to be used to bless people. I just see like that Genesis 1:28, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful, and your right hand is going to bless people, and with the blessing will come the capacity to do what they're called to do in this season. You're going to break off of people a whole weight that they've been carrying from the last season of unfinished promises. You're going to break off of people the weariness of undone expectations, and you're going to unleash them into their future. I see you placing your hand on an entire generation and saying, you are blessed to move forward without looking back. And as you run forward, your past will be restored to you. I see you grabbing their faces and turning them like flint towards their future and saying your future will define you more than your past and your promises will define you more than your pain. And I see even as you bless them, infused in it is the grace and the capacity to do everything that God has called them to do. You're like this blessing machine, man. You're going to be like, and I release you. Like, you know, you're doing that Oprah thing, right? And you get a house and you get a house and you get a house and you get a... I, I just see you going like this, and I bless you, and I bless you, and I bless you, and people are just getting released one after another. Boom. The blessing is going to unleash them into their calling, into their calling. Yeah. Come on. Wow. That was awesome. Yeah. I mean, stuff before that, but that was awesome, too. <laughs> I need some time to recover. Um, hey, if, if you're on the prayer team, come on up right now. If you're on the prayer team, um, there's a handful of you guys have been kind of that uh, we've that are on the prayer. We haven't done the prayer team much lately, but we want to get back to that. Even though we're outside, awesome. Come on up. Hey, listen. If you need, a, there's, a, there's a lot of people here. If you need a word from God or you need healing still in your body, uh, we want to pray for you. People are getting healed all the time. Today's your day for healing. All right, today's your day for a word from God. Today's your day for a future. So if you need prayer for anything, going through some stuff, and you need stuff to, you need, you need someone to partner with you, we have an awesome team that wants to do that. So please come up. Um, we have time for you this morning. Um, beyond that, love you guys. Um, I'm going to just bless this last one last for this week. God, we, we thank you, God. Thanks for what Craig dropped in our hearts, God. I pray that it would, it would grow roots in us, Father. This was such a good message, God, a, a message of breaking off, being known by our, our stuff and known by our works and even our job titles, God. But Lord, would you, would, you give us, would you give us an identity that cannot be taken away? That a, that a virus can't change, God. That a government cannot, cannot alter, God. That there's nothing that can ever take what you say about us away, God. No riot, no protest, no house hoarders, no... No quarantine can ever take these identities away from us, Father. And we will always have neighbors. <laughs> Come on. So, Father, we bless you, God. Would you be made known in our city, God, in our churches, God, and across the world. We bless this, this, this nation, God. We pray for our president right now. I just feel called to pray for him. I pray for our president, God. We pray for our governors and our mayors. God, we pray for all the city officials who have a hard job right now. And they need your help, Jesus. And so, Father, we partner our strength and our faith and our, and our blessing over the governor of California, over the governor of everywhere there, out there, Lord. We pray for justice. We pray for righteousness, God. 
And we pray for your hand of blessing on our nation and the whole world. God, go with it. Amen. Amen. Awesome, you guys. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit our website at presenceoc.org to find out more about Presence Church.